welcome back this morning. It is uh, time for us to turn our attention to American football and we're talking uh, on the snap this week with uh, Kian Fahey. We also have Ronan Mullen with us. Um, Kian, good morning to you. How are you doing? Good morning, Jar. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm um, like we are all waking up to the news that uh, Tom Brady is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. There's going to be a pirate ship at the end of the stadium that he looks at every week when he's playing. What's going on? Yeah, well, like, this has been anticipated for a long time, but it's one of those things you anticipate and then don't expect to actually happen and be real when it comes down to it, which is what I said last week on the podcast, which I've kind of made myself look foolish and undercut myself a little bit because I've been saying for a while that the Buccaneers make a lot of sense, but then at the last moment, they just felt like he'd go back to the Patriots. And apparently, like, we've heard about uh, acrimony behind the scenes, problems behind the scenes for the last year. We've never got any real specific details, but over the last over the last 24 hours, we've heard that Brady threatens to walk out of a practice before the start of uh, was this was the 19th season where he had over money over a dispute about money. He did not actually get a firm offer from the Patriots this in this negotiation. So it's very much a case of the Patriots saying, "Hey, we don't really want you. You may want to leave as well, but we don't really want you back." So there's a lot more that's going to come out of this. But for the moment, we have Tom Brady moving from the AFC, the Patriots, one of the uh, teams that everyone cares about in, in the worldwide, everyone knows about Tom Brady himself as a brand that everyone knows about, to a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team that is largely irrelevant. Like It has a lot of talent, but as a brand, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in Tampa Bay. The only people who care about uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in Tampa Bay. So they're not even the biggest team in Florida. Well, it just struck me that this might be very good news for Manchester United fans when it comes to trying to sign a global superstar, the Glazers are going to go, hey, hang on a second, what if we were to add some like top-quality, world-class talent to the football team that we owe as well? Own. I, I would call that the optimistic look. I think the Glazers might look at this and say, we're spending $30 million on Tom Brady. We're moving up towards hitting our minimum spend in the NFL that we have to spend now. Uh, the price of what we spend has just gone up, so... Maybe Bruno Fernandes is the only big player you get at Man United for the foreseeable future. Right. Here, look, um, the, the, the Brady thing, the team that he's actually going to, right? It made sense in, in some aspects. It certainly made sense from a, he wanted to be on the East Coast. I actually thought that going to LA made far more sense. He's recently set up a production company. Um, they do have loads of really good pieces. They're, they're a few pieces short, but they, you know, their receiving core is just as good. Maybe not quite just as good, but very good. And their defense has some brilliant parts to it, like um, you know, Bosa and Derwin James. You kind of think, okay, being the, the face of a franchise in Los Angeles, the size of that market, you know, suddenly he has base on both coasts. It's like, wow, that's where Tom Brady becomes this mega corporation over the next 10 years. Now he's gone to Tampa Bay, it's like a really quite small town. It, it's a bit off-Broadway. Why do you think he'd pick this one? Well, there's the football reasons make more sense. I think there are reasons that, that Los Angeles Chargers would have been a better option. Keenan Allen is a perfect type of receiver for Tom Brady. Well, actually, he's a perfect type of receiver for Tom Brady in his prime. I'm not sure he's a perfect type of receiver for Tom Brady now. Keenan Allen is like a much better version of Julian Edelman where he can get open underneath all the time whenever he wants. He can get open on intermediate routes. No coverage can actually contain him, so he's always going to create a window for you to throw into. In Tampa Bay, you've got Mike Evans, who doesn't really create much separation, but he's six foot six and he can catch anything that's thrown anywhere close to him. You've also got Chris Godwin, who does the same thing. And then you've got O.J. OJ, uh, OJ Howard, who is uh, an Aaron Hernandez-style tight end, which Tom Brady's worked with before. Cameron Brate would be a Rob Gronkowski type of tight end, not as good as Rob Gronkowski, obviously. 
but stylistically, those players make a lot of sense. So the same problems existed in both places where the offensive lines weren't great. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a run-blocking offensive line, really. You've got Donovan Smith there at left tackle. The uh, Chargers just traded for Trey Turner from the Carolina Panthers. They gave up Russell O'Kung, who rarely played for them. They just signed Brian Bulaga as well, I think. Brian Bulaga has had three ACL tears, is constantly injured, a former Green Bay Packer. He's going to a team that has the worst medical staff maybe in all of sports because all their players constantly get injured. Surpass the actual football fit. The, I, I would suggest the way that Brady has talked over recent years about him wanting to maximize his football income, the money he's earning in salary, being in Florida, you're not getting taxed. Being in California, you're getting pretty heavily taxed. The costs of living in Tampa Bay, like I know this doesn't apply necessarily to someone like Brady, but it does apply if you're not actually going to stay in that place permanently. The NFL season is very short, so Brady yeah. probably is going to rent, rent a place in Tampa Bay, which will be dirt cheap relative to renting a place in L.A. and living in L.A. So there are financial upsides to being in Tampa Bay opposed to being in L.A., and with the way the world is, like you, can, he can run his production company from anywhere. He's going to end up living in New York, end up living in L.A. the way he has his places currently. Being in Boston was always kind of this thing as well that was a uh, contentious issue because his wife doesn't necessarily want to be there. But he was in Boston for 20 years. He became a global superstar. He can do it from Tampa Bay as well. Yeah, OK, fair enough. Um, Ronan Mullins with us this morning. Ronan, how are you? All good, Jer. How are things? Any clever puns for us on, uh, on Tom Brady? I hope you've been working on him. Like, the, the one thing that we all need in this time right now in the time of coronavirus is uh, some good puns from Ronan Mullen. Yeah, I'm not sure it was totally correct, Jer, but I'll give you my hot take on this. I do think that... Um, TB12, it's more of a TB12 ink decision than a Tom Brady football decision. And we know he's a, he's a winner and he always wants to win, but this is very much about brand building. He wants, he put that number of age 45, he wants to play till he's 45. I think that's what this is all about. He knew there was no long-termism in New England. Like Bill Belichick put that on the table a couple of years ago. So he's like, you're mentioning his options, but I think this was almost, he had to take whatever was coming. And Tampa Bay is a good fit for him in the end, I think. I, like I, I, again, I, so it seemed like he was pushing for San Francisco, and that wasn't actually uh, realistically an option. But the Raiders in Vegas would have been pretty cool, wouldn't it? Yeah, and there's an absence of a superstardom in Tampa Bay, as we said there. Los Angeles, I think we called pretty early, was a pretty obvious one. Like it fit both parties. Like it's an easy um, exposure for him, and also exposure for them. They need to sell those seats because they're renting a stadium off the Rams. If you ask anyone what team plays in Los Angeles, they probably wouldn't even be able to name the Rams, let alone the Chargers. So I think that would have been an obvious fit. The Colts have gone down the Philip Rivers line, which we would probably get to. But I think Tampa Bay would probably be asking themselves, is Tom Brady the right fit for us? Because they were sort of an all-singing, all-dancing offense last year. Uh, James Winston had his 30-for-30 season, 30 picks and 30 touchdowns. But can Tom Brady really do those kind of down-the-field passes that Winston was trying last year? I'm not sure. I'm sure he can adapt. Yeah. But um, I, I know uh, Bruce Arians was comically undermining Winston last year, saying if we had a quarterback, we'd be a playoff team. And um, now he's got one. They have a quarterback now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, that's an interesting point, Keen. What's your take on this? Like the the down the field throws that Brady isn't able to do. Here's the point: if you've got Mike Evans, you don't need him to separate. You feck it up there, and he comes down with it. Uh, yes, and Brady's lack of velocity is less of an issue when you have someone like Mike Evans because if the ball hangs up a little bit, he's the one who's likely to win it rather than the defensive back. Uh, on this, I have a, a Twitter account called QB Data Mine right now, which is QB Data Mine, all one word, obviously. And it's just simply tweeting out the charting I do and putting out the results I do. And Tom Brady and James Winston this week were obviously two uh, focal points. 
So the biggest difference between Tom Brady and Jameis Winston is that Brady is 10% worse on intermediate throws. On deep throws, they're actually the same. And when you consider who they were throwing to last year, Brady is probably a better deep passer, even with his declining velocity. Like The thing about Jameis is Jameis has no idea how to play quarterback, and he's a bit of a complete disaster, really. So he had 30 interceptions last year. He had 21 more dropped. He could have had 50 interceptions last season, which means he wouldn't have been on the field because if those passes had been caught, Bruce Arians would have benched him. And Arians basically came out and said, we can't win with this quarterback after the offseason. So you knew he wasn't coming back. For all of the highlight plays and all of the big plays, like that's not really how you win games. Is that, that's not really how they win games. They were on the precipice of the playoffs last year, but Winston was the primary reason they didn't make the playoffs. Does Brady give them a chance to go to the Super Bowl? Probably not. I don't think they're going to be a contender in the NFC. There are better teams in the NFC. Like Take the Seattle Seahawks as an example. They're probably not the best team in the NFC. They'd be better than the, the Buccaneers next year. The positive is that Brady is a lot smarter. The question mark for me, less than downfield throws, is how he's going to fit behind the offensive line. So the benefit here is you've got to have a spread out offense where you get all those four weapons on the field all, all at the same time, which isn't something Tampa Bay has always done. And it's not something Bruce Arians likes to do. But you've got to get all your weapons on the field at the same time, the same way Josh McDaniels and the Patriots did, the same way Bill O'Brien and the Patriots did, same way the Patriots have done all through Brady's career. And give Brady the opportunity to get the ball out instantly. Because if he has that on quicker, shorter throws, you can change that offense. You can make that offense work. Because Mike Evans, while he's a massive guy, is also a rare talent in that he can run any route at any level. He can get open. He has very quick pitch fibers where he can make the quick movement as well as the, the, the long stride downfield. So if you change the offense up like that, it should work. And when Bruce Arians worked with Carson Palmer, and as much as Bruce Arians wants to work to a specific offense and drop deep, deep in the pocket and throw the ball 30 and 40 yards downfield all the time, when Bruce Arians was in Arizona with Carson Palmer, that was the style of offense he ran, but he also went to Carson Palmer every week and said, give me your favorite 15 plays and we're going to focus on them. And that's how a, a good coach works. So Bruce Arians goes to Tom Brady and says, give me your favorite 15 plays, let's focus on them. Yeah. Those aren't going to be those deep shots. Those are going to be the shorter, quicker plays that they're going to cut teams to debt with over and over and over again. There's loads of um, other stories that we'll get to a little bit later on in the week in terms of the, the second wave of the Jadevian Clownies, where Cam Newton's going to end up on. But the other big breaking news over the last uh, 24, 36 hours or so has been the absolute theft of DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I, for, for regular watchers, Bill O'Brien was the Penn State coach. We went over and, and watched him coach. He was very nice. He was very accommodating to us. I've followed his career since then, and mostly I've kind of been able to understand what he's been trying to do. But this is madness. DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best players in the league, and he has been given away for a handful of magic beans. Yeah, um, I think the best... Let's stick with the, with the Man United uh, references here. If you took Odie and Agallo and you had Manchester United and you went to PSG and you said, can, you, can we have Kylian Mbappe? We'll give you Odie and Agallo. That's basically what just happened. The Arizona Cardinals gave David Johnson and a second-round pick to the Texans for, uh, for DeAndre Hopkins and a fourth-round pick, I believe. So basically, they've dropped down 60 places in the draft and got the best, one of the best wide receivers in the league, maybe the best wide receiver in the league. It's an inexplicable move, but it's the type of move that Bill O'Brien has been making. He's now the head coach and the GM of the team. And this is something we've talked about previously. You need to have two different minds there because the head coach is more emotional. The head coach is more irrational. He's someone who believes he can win whatever roster he has and he will make. He, he thinks anyone is dispensed or can be dispensed with. And GM has to sit there and go, hey, DeAndre Hopkins is irreplaceable. We can't replace this guy. He's a little bit expensive, whatever you want to say. He's a key piece of all of our success. And last year, when the, when the Texans were 24-0 up in the playoff game against the Chiefs, 
The problem wasn't DeAndre Hopkins, it was Bill O'Brien. So Bill O'Brien is hurting the Texans in season, hurting the Texans in the offseason. And this is actually a fascinating thing because the Cardinals have had a good offseason. They've added Jordan Phillips as well to the defensive line. They've, added, they've made some very good moves so far. And DeAndre Hopkins comes in there now with Kyler Murray, who is an incredible deep passer. He's actually a more accurate overall quarterback than Deshaun Watson. He obviously has to grow a little bit more than Watson because he's at an earlier stage of his career. But you add DeAndre Hopkins there, you're getting a guy who is basically Larry Fitzgerald in his prime. I would argue he's better than what Larry Fitzgerald was. Oof. And Larry Fitzgerald is the Hall of Famer. So, like, Larry Fitzgerald is still there, but now Larry Fitzgerald gets to just be the slot receiver all the time while Hopkins plays outside the numbers all the time. And that spread offense is going to be outstanding. And they've got Kenyon Drake in the backfield there anyway, assuming they re-sign him. So they have no concerns about living, losing David Johnson. They've swapped out an $11 million salary for David Johnson for a $12 million for DeAndre Hopkins. That's crazy. No, like, Stefan Diggs went immediately after and got so much more in reward. Stefan Diggs is one of the best receivers in the league, but he's nowhere close to DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, it's it's um it's like, a, it's such a weird comparison. Go on, Ronan, yeah. No, I was just gonna say like the minimum surely that we saw with Amari Cooper when he went from the Raiders um to Dallas, that the cost should be a minimum number one draft choice. Like for first for first tier receiver, you need a first round draft choice because that's the equivalent. I know this is a very stacked wide receiver class and there's gonna be people available second, third, fourth round, but there's just no reason for the Texans who are actively shopping him which I find utterly bizarre. It would have been different if someone dropped this on them and they weighed up their options and said, right, let's, let's pull the trigger on this. But they were looking to get rid of this guy, talking about friction in the camp. But like friction, Tom Brady and Belichick, by all accounts, have had friction for 15 years and they've still won multiple championships. So you have to park that stuff. And Diggs, we've mentioned there, he's never made a Pro Bowl in five seasons. Hopkins has been first-team All-Pro in the last three seasons. So this is the calibre of talent we're talking about. Is he the best receiver? He's definitely one of them. And I just find it baffling. Brandon Cook's got a first round, two successive seasons in a row, and uh, we're getting literally a handful of magic beans. I'm saying it again. If you look back at what um, the Rams paid for Jalen Ramsey, who is uh, an elite level, similar to DeAndre Hopkins in a uh, matching position, it was two first round picks and a second round, I think. Uh, yeah, and Hayden Hurst this, just this weekend, Jared, Hayden Hurst, who people will remember infancy, picked ahead of uh, Lamar Jackson by the Ravens in, in that draft, has been traded to the Falcons for basically the same more. You know, draft capture. More. I well, think more. more. It's well, a third and a fifth, more. wasn't it? Cause, like, you're, and you're not taking back David Johnson, who's washed. Yeah, well, second and a fourth, third and a fifth, we could argue the, the toss on that, but you're right. Yeah, it's basically slightly more. Is David Johnson washed, Keen? He's on the way to be. He's uh, very unfortunate he's had a couple of bad injuries. Maybe you can say that it's actually just the life of a running back because it's happened to Todd Gurley. It happens to pretty much everyone. The Hopkins trade has a, is, is layered in a different way in the sense that he has been previously outspoken about wanting to leave Houston, but that was when Bob, Nick, Bob McNair was still there, and Bob McNair is the owner who referred to his players as inmates running the asylum when they were in, the, I think it was in the lockout year in negotiations. Or it might have been, actually, sorry, it was when Kaepernick kneeled. Yeah. So, obviously, he got in a lot of trouble for that. And Hopkins was one of the people who was outspoken about that. Dwayne Brown is someone they traded away, one of the best left tackles in the league. He's been great in Seattle. He did not want to be there anymore because of the culture in Houston and because of McNair. And they spent two first-round picks to replace him with Laramie Tunsil last year, which is another awful trade because as good as Tunsil is, it's a crazy amount of uh, capital to give up for a player, uh, an individual left tackle. So, the thing about that is it, this was surprising because... McNair is now dead and Hopkins hasn't publicly said anything about wanting to leave. There hasn't been 
there was a little bit of speculation about three hours before the trade actually happened, but it wasn't even strong then. It was, hey, DeAndre Hopkins, some teams believe he might be available. So obviously that actually had fire to it, that smoke that kind of comes around all the time that you hear and you ignore. But the other aspect of this then is Hopkins afterwards had no sadness about this. He was immediately on Instagram Live showing that he was trading. He was celebrating the trade immediately afterwards. It didn't feel like he was blindsided. But Deshaun Watson has talked about him and talked about how he doesn't know how he's going to replace him. He seems to be in shock. He didn't seem to know what was coming. Players across the league have looked at this and said, this is insane. Cameron Hayward of the Pittsburgh Steelers said GMs should be drug tested, which kind of seems like a fair comment at this point when it comes to Bill O'Brien. But the on-field impact for the Texans is going to go surpass just losing a number one receiver because Deshaun Watson is now going to be under a huge amount of pressure because they don't have a high-quality receiving core. Oh, Randall and Cobb. Offense... Randall Cobb. Poor Randall Cobb. Look at you casting aspersions on a guy who, again, was washed up three years ago. Yeah, well, they have Kenny Stills, who's very good, and they have Will Fuller, who's very good when healthy. But Will Fuller can probably play 10 games a season with the way his knees are. He doesn't always play, and that's been a big issue for them. And that's what's changed their offense, because when they've had two receivers running downfield and kept everyone else in pass protection and executed hard play fakes, uh, Deshaun Watson's been incredibly good. But now they can't do that anymore because they don't have a receiver like Hopkins who's going to get open no matter what. So it, it completely changes the identity of the team, completely changes the, the offense. And the AFC South, like, between them, the Jaguars, and the Colts, this looks like a division that's setting up for the Titans to run away with it fairly easily next year, which is a weird thing because over the last few years, that's always been a division where they've all been mediocre and everyone's been stuck together. Um. We, we, you mentioned the Colts. We should talk about them. Philip Rivers has, uh, has it's been widely predicted for months that uh, once he was done with the Chargers, that it would be the Colts because he's got best mates up there. Uh, is he not washed up? Is there any chance that he can make that work? He's very washed up. Philip Rivers is 38 years of age, going on 39 in the during the season, and he's replacing Jacoby Brissett for 25 million dollars for a one-year deal. But he's replacing a quarterback who's more accurate than him, which is something people are finding hard to believe just because of their perception. Philip Rivers' arm has died. He's He worked with Frank Reich uh, five years ago. Frank Reich was under Ken Wisenhunt from 2013 to 2015. He was the quarterback's coach. Then he was the offensive coordinator, so he worked directly with Philip Rivers. I think the Colts and Frank Reich in particular are falling here, where are failing here by looking at Philip Rivers and thinking, that's the guy who he was in 2013, 2015. But since 2015, his arm has dropped off dramatically. He has become a guy who struggles to throw the ball 15 yards on the field, struggles to throw the ball 20 yards on the field. If it's a vertical route, the ball is going to float and hang in the air. He didn't get away with that the last couple of years, but the Chargers have been able to offset it somehow with Mike Williams, who's been incredible. Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, exceptionally good. I talked about Keaton Allen previously. But these guys have been able to cover a lot for Philip Rivers' errors. So now you move him to Indianapolis, where they've traded their first-round pick for DeVars Buckner, so they're not going to get one of these top-tier receivers that's available in the first round. And now they've got T.Y. Hilton, a very small receiver who needs precise passes, even though he's good at getting up and down field. Rivers is going to struggle to hit him. You've got Zach Pascal, who is just ineffective and not capable of being a second a second option on an offense. You've got uh, Chester, is Chester Rogers still there. You've got, you've got a bunch of different receivers who aren't capable or aren't good enough to be where they are in the offense. And you've got Paris Campbell, who was taken ahead of Terry McLaurin last year, who's clearly been a mistake because Campbell was nowhere near what McLaurin was as a rookie. McLaurin was a superstar. Campbell just looks like he's a little bit of speed, and that's it. He was injured, though, wasn't he? Bron. Campbell was injured for a good bit of the season, so not... not um... it was, uh, not not totally got on him. Look, sorry, I just want to go back to Stefan Diggs because we, we did mention um, there was a bounty of picks that Stefan Diggs managed to generate for the Vikings um, and yet he is also good enough to be able to transform 
an offense. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I don't see the. There was a lot of people rushing to judgment on this that uh, the Bills ended up getting fleeced here, but I'm not sure that's true. I don't think they got fleeced. I think a first round pick, which is essentially what it is, because the rest of them are fourth, fifth, sixth extra picks that don't really matter. A first round pick for Stefan Diggs is good value, but the problem for the Bills is they're not going to maximize his value. He's uh, he's going to be wide open all the time, and Josh Allen is so inaccurate. He misses wide receivers constantly. He was the worst deep passer in the league last year, and it just doesn't fit their identity. As a team, they need to focus on running the ball and building up their same identity they had from last year. Adding Stefan Diggs for a first-round pick, I don't think is going to dramatically change their offense, like you said. But Diggs is also so unfortunate. He did not want to be in Minnesota. He did not want to play with Kirk Cousins anymore. He's gone from an indoor stadium in the cold city to an outdoor stadium in the cold city with an even worse quarterback than yeah. had. He's the most unlucky wide receiver in the league. It's not, it's not a great move. Um, Ronan, did you have anything you want to say about uh, either the Colts or indeed uh, what Buffalo have done? No, just Phil Rivers, like there have been comparisons drawn between him and Brady, especially in recent years as their decline seems to be mirroring one another. And Brady's big complaint was that he didn't have the, the personnel to throw to. Phil Rivers can't have had that complaint in the last few seasons so it'll be interesting to see how he gets on with the Colts I do wonder Jacoby Brissett is at a loose end now will Bill Belichick pick up the phone and say do you want to come back and uh, and do this thing or is Jared Stidham going to be the guy for the Patriots next season it's, uh, it's still up in the air yeah I have a feeling that's going to be um, Stidham because there's a, an ego involved in Belichick that's going to be yeah, I can do this look what I can do with Jared Stidham I don't need you Tom Brady uh, so it feels like Andy Dalton's been used as a pawn. It's like, if I can bring Andy Dalton in and win a championship with Andy Dalton, I can do anything. And we always see on first take in all these debate shows, Jared, that uh, who's, who gets more credit, Belichick or Brady? We might find out this year who is the more talented of that combo. Yeah, Brady's the system quarterback is the, uh, is the uh, dig that they always um, put to him. A reminder that American football brought to you on the snap in association with the Erlingus College Football Classic Navy versus Notre Dame at the Aviva on the 29th of August. You should get on to collegefootballireland.com. Um, there's a couple other things that we wanted to talk about. Calais Campbell was the, uh, was the other one. Is a 34-year-old Calais Campbell still very good, Keen? I just don't want to brush past that Father Jack impression that was meant to be Bill Belichick there. I'm not sure where that was going. Um, uh, Clayus Campbell is... So, he's a, a superstar defensive lineman, been one of the best defensive linemen in the league for a long time. He's just older now, but he's older while also playing, I think, 770 snaps last year, 790, something like that. He was one of the highest uh, playing, most active defensive linemen in the league. And the quality that he brings is that he can play on the inside, play on the outside... He's an individual pass rusher who's going to win over and over, uh, which is what the Ravens don't have. They franchise tagged Matt Judon, but he's not that caliber of player. They also added Michael Brockers, who's more of a run stopper. So they've obviously identified the defensive line as a big issue for them. Calais Campbell is a great addition. They got him for dirt cheap. But on a more of a macro level, when it comes to the Jaguars and trading players away, the Jag players coming off of the Jaguars roster, I think they're like a, a market inefficiency or there's great value there because those guys were all clearly miserable playing for Tom Cochran. And while they're all individually still very good, there was an atmosphere there that probably played, dragged them down a little bit and got them to a play to a different level. And the Jaguars are now rebuilding and giving these guys away for nothing. AJ Bowie, Calais Campbell, like Ramsey was obviously already gone. But the Campbell value and after the Ravens is huge. He's a, an addition that only pushes them closer to the Super Bowl they were already nearly at. 